0: From the garden level of Harvard Medical School's historic Vanderbilt Hall in Boston, this is Think Research, a podcast that discusses the stories behind medical research. I'm Abby, your host. Think Research is brought to you by Harvard Catalyst, Harvard University's Clinical and Translational Science Center. When it comes to children today, the importance of being active and eating right is a hot topic. In an age when we all have the potential to be glued to electronic devices, providing spaces for children to be active and eat healthfully is more important than ever. Today, parents are busy working to be able to provide for their families, and 10.2 million children are in after-school programs. That is why it is important to provide children with the opportunity to engage in regular physical activity and consume healthy foods. On this week's episode, we talk with Dr. Rebecca Lee about her work designing and evaluating community-based interventions that translate into real-world policy and environmental changes. She focuses on investigating the contextual factors that impact effective implementation and promote health equity. Dr. Lee is a research scientist at the Harvard T.H. Chan School of Public Health. She has spent the past decade working as a part of a research team under the leadership of Dr. Steve Gortmaker at the Prevention Research Center on Nutrition and Physical Activity. She currently uses mixed methods to conduct evaluation research with partners at the Boston Public Health Commission, Massachusetts Department of Public Health, and the YMCA. She also serves as an evaluation consultant and instructor for the Population Health Research Program at Harvard Catalyst. Hello Dr. Lee, welcome to the show. It's great to be here. Great to have you. Um, Can you start by telling us a bit about your academic background and the community-based research you do now?
1: Absolutely. Uh, So right now I work at the Harvard Prevention Research Center. Uh, We do a lot of nutrition and physical activity research. Uh, But I came to public health, um, my undergrad was in psychology and I was actually really interested in uh, uh, the psychological effects of discrimination. That's really where um, kind of my passion for research was when I was really, um, you know, in my my early years. Um, and when I was an undergrad, uh, I took this uh, psychology of racism class. And uh, it was with uh, Beverly Daniel Tatum, who's now at Spelman College. And I just learned so much about um how discrimination works uh, to influence individuals um, in their day-to-day lives, and thought a lot about um, my own privilege. And I did a lot of research on how kids develop those biases early in life when I was in undergrad. Um, And then I knew I loved research, but I didn't know what I wanted to do with that after um, I graduated. So I spent the summer after my senior year in college scouring Boston for every research job I could find, uh, and I, uh, remember finding this job in the Department of Epidemiology uh, here at the School of Public Health, and um, I got called for an interview, and I was very surprised. Uh, What I had to do first was learn to pronounce epidemiology. And I remember sitting on the the edge of the bed uh, with my friend saying, epidemiology, epidemiology. Okay, I got it. So so I didn't know that much about public health, uh, but I knew that it would uh, help me kind of fostered this interest in research that I had, uh, and I spent uh, about a year and a half working on um, a meta-analysis in the Department of Epidemiology and learned so much about public health, and uh, through uh, the benefits we have here, was able to take a class in uh, the Department of Society, Human Development, and Health, uh, and my eyes were really open to how discrimination and all those social factors uh, like race and social class and sexuality uh, influence our health. And I'd only really thought about it from the psychological perspective before. And I was now thinking beyond individuals and thinking about populations. And I thought, OK, this could be my home. This could be my career. I hadn't seen it when I was running to the uh, library to collect all those articles for that uh uh, meta-analysis, but I was seeing it now. Um, so I was lucky enough to uh, get my next position here at the school at the Prevention Research Center, where now I've been for over 10 years, Uh And uh, what I think I'm so lucky for is that uh, the Prevention Research Center is really focused on uh, community-based solutions to uh, obesity uh, through interventions around nutrition and physical activity. Uh, And... uh, there's a strong emphasis on working with partners uh, here locally in Boston and Massachusetts, uh, but also national projects. Uh, but really, those interventions are grounded in the real world. Um, they're um, not just kind of thought experiments uh, in, uh, in our offices, but we're really listening to uh, the folks uh, who are implementing these interventions. Uh, and I think that's a really uh, special um, thing about the Prevention Research Center um, and the work that um, I've been doing uh, for a long time now.
0: What is the Out-of-School Nutrition and Physical Activity Initiative?
1: So the out-of-school nutrition and physical activity initiative—we like to call it O-SNAP—it's uh, a fun ring to it. Uh, it is a uh, after-school uh, nutrition and physical activity in- intervention uh, that we developed at the Prevention Research Center. Uh, What it is, is a series of uh, learning communities that we do with after-school providers. Uh, They work with us throughout the school year to really develop uh, knowledge and skills uh, to promote uh, healthy eating, physical activity, reduce screen time, uh, some really simple goals um, to promote to improve the health of the kids in their programs. Uh, So we, as researchers, are helping uh, to uh, design those trainings. uh, But we aren't going into the uh, programs to talk to kids about what healthy eating is. It's really about building the capacity of those staff. And that's what I love so much about that intervention. Uh, So it began here. in, uh, in the city of Boston with a randomized trial with just 20 programs uh, run by lots of different organizations, YMCA's, Boys and Girls Clubs, city-run programs. Uh, but we're still doing a lot of that work uh, now and I think we'll talk about that some more. Uh, but it's a great initiative and uh, it's been so much fun to work on over the years.
0: What are the end goals of the project?
1: Uh, So the end goals of the project are uh, to change the health behaviors of the kids in the program. So to get them to eat healthier foods, uh, to uh, be more physically active during the program time. Uh, Those are the two main things we wanted to see, is we wanted to see the environments in these after-school programs change. So the practices and policies that the programs had on the books, or they were doing day today day and how those influence the, the how the kids uh, were, you know, participating in the program and hopefully, um, you know, outside of the program as well.
0: Why is OSNAP important?
1: Well, we think OSNAP is important because... First of all, the number of kids that attend after-school programs in the U.S. every year uh, is huge. About 10.2 million kids are attending after-school, and we know that after-school programs then are a great place to reach kids. We also know that more Black and Latino and low-income kids, a higher proportion of them, are attending after-school programs than white and higher-income kids. So this is also a setting where we can address disparities and try to promote health equity. These are two huge reasons. Uh, We know that, uh, you know, the obesity epidemic is not going away and promoting nutrition and physical activity is really key, uh, especially earlier in life. And so the OSNAP intervention really reaches those kids at a great time in their life at a pretty low cost uh, to a local health department or to a YMCA. uh, And it's a great initiative to uh, try to uh, address all those things.
0: What were the key findings from the study?
1: So the key findings from the randomized trial that we did here in Boston uh, were that we found that kids participated in more vigorous physical activity uh, at the end of the program, uh, which was great. Uh, we don't see that many interventions that uh, influence vigorous physical activity where kids are, you know, getting their heart rate up. And then, you uh, We also saw that kids were uh, served and consumed more water at snack time, which was great. Uh, And they were also uh, eating uh, more healthy foods at the end of the intervention, particularly in programs where uh, the sites had control over um, the the foods that they were serving to the kids. So sometimes uh, programs might uh, have a kitchen in their facility and sometimes they might not. And that did influence whether um, kids were served And then uh, we're eating the the healthier foods. So we saw really great success in both of the areas we wanted to see uh, physical activity and nutrition.
0: We've heard that you've worked on another out of school time project. What is that project?
1: So after the OSNAP trial, uh, we were lucky enough to connect with the Boston Public Health Commission uh, who received a large CDC grant uh, that was really focused on addressing racial disparities in the city of Boston. And one of the things they'd been wanting to do uh, for a while was uh, address nutrition and physical activity in uh, school time programs. Uh, So we had this unique role where uh, they were looking us for uh, expertise in what interventions might work in out-of-school time, Uh, but also um, we uh, applied to be the evaluator on the project. So we were in this role as evaluator, uh, but we also had this out-of-school time expertise. And what that meant is that we could see what was done in this just 20 sites, small-scale research project at first, uh, could be expanded in reach to, to reach, um many more um, Boston residents. So the REACH project stands for Racial and Ethnic Approaches to Community Health. Uh, It's a CDC-funded project. Uh, It went to two different cities uh, in the country, so it was a really competitive uh, project. And in this case, it's a grant that goes right to the city, and we were the evaluators. Uh, So they were focused on healthy beverages, uh, reducing sodium, physical activity, uh, hypertension within clinical settings, uh, and the the last outcome that they were really focused on was uh, changing nutrition and physical activity in out-of-school time programs. So this is a huge project, and out-of-school time was one part that uh, we uh, were able to participate in. The goal in REACH was actually to work with 125 after-school programs here in the city. Uh, this could be, again, sponsored by uh all different types of community-based organizations. But what changed in reach is now we were serving kind of as content experts, but we were passing the baton to uh people who worked at the Boston Public Health Commission, people who worked at the YMCA, and they, they were now the trainers. They were now leading these learning collaboratives. And it wasn't an intervention that depended so much on researchers, but we were building now the cap- capacity of those city uh, employees, those YMCA employees, and the afterschool professionals. Uh, and uh, we could also evaluate this uh, project at a little bit more low cost uh, because during the trial, we'd actually validated this measure that... the site directors would complete. Uh, and we found that it was really accurate and we didn't have to collect such expensive, uh, rigorous data as we did in the trial. We used this new tool uh, to evaluate the impact in you know over a hundred programs. So we got scale with REACH, we were able to see how it worked uh, in the community uh, with a little less uh, control by the researchers, uh, but uh, we also were able to impact so many more kids in the city. And that was what we were really excited about.
0: So you were the evaluator for this initiative. Mm -hmm. What did you find?
1: So our early results show uh, that we saw a lot of similar success as we did in the trial, which is fantastic. Uh, So we found uh, similar changes in uh, water being served to the kids, physical activity. Those were the two big areas where we saw some improvements. So uh, this was an indication to us that – Down the line, outside of a randomized trial, this intervention still works when it's implemented on a larger scale uh, with practitioners uh, from the city health department and the Y leading the initiative. And uh, we're really excited about that. Uh, The other uh, thing that we're so uh, glad to see is that uh, the REACH funding has ended, uh, but the city has uh, started dedicating funds to continuing. OSNAP uh, on a smaller scale, uh, but over a longer period of time to continue working with after school programs to promote nutrition and physical activity and uh, seeing your, you know, research uh, intervention that you developed uh, in such a small trial turn into a program that is sustained uh, by your city um, is just uh, such a great success. And um, we're so glad that it continues to impact the uh, uh, residents of the city.
0: When working within the community, what are the barriers to getting the buy-in needed to execute your research?
1: So I like to think about this question as um, how do we begin our research uh, with the community um in the forefront of our mind. Uh, And so there are barriers to overcome, but how do we design our interventions that they're really appealing to uh, the community, whether that's the kids themselves, the parents, or uh, the practitioners who are implementing uh, the intervention. I think a good example is thinking about uh, the after-school providers, uh, those site directors, those line staff, These are folks that have really busy lives. They're trying to do a lot in a really short period of time from the end of the school bell to when the kids get picked up at six o'clock. How do they integrate nutrition and physical activity into their program in a way that feels beneficial to them and they see their parents responding well and they see kids responding well? So when we start a research project, we want to think about at the very end of this project, what will um, continue this work? What will make this work um, meaningful to folks um, without needing a stipend from a researcher or um, something like that? What value will it have to them? And so we try to bring people in early on to hear about um, what would be valuable to them, uh, what goals seem reasonable to them, um, and we like to involve them in the research process as much as possible. Um, so I talked about the learning community being an opportunity for uh, capacity building of those staff. So not seeing them as just folks that are helping you with your research project, but folks that you're going to build their skills. Maybe you'll help um, further their career, um, something that is meaningful to them. So that's really important to us. And when you kind of flip the the lens and you think about those people, I think they can tell you what barriers they might encounter at the very beginning uh, to have a successful research project.
0: What are the next steps for your research?
1: So uh, this year, I was lucky enough to get a new research grant uh, to continue this OSNAP uh, research. And what we're focused on now is we made this OSNAP intervention work well here in Boston, but how do we scale this up uh, nationally to reach folks across the country? And um, I was just speaking about the importance of getting the buy-in of those after-school providers. What training model will work best to um, really attract after-school providers um, throughout the country? What? How could it be uh, low cost? How could it be appealing to them? So we're uh, testing two different models uh, for scaling up OSNAP. We're doing one that's very similar to what I described here in Boston where we do an in-person learning community. I train uh, local people um, in the YMCA to uh, lead these trainings but we're also trying an online model uh, to see how Uh, this type of learning community could work uh, virtually and how folks could uh, interact with each other online, learn the same knowledge and skills. Um, And so this research project will really compare those outcomes. Do we see similar outcomes with those different training models? Uh, What do these different models cost in terms of um, making this model work? How, How might a health department or the Y or some other organizations say, yes, uh, this model works and uh, we want to um, include it in our training package. And uh, we're also really interested in implementation outcomes. So what are the factors of uh, the program themselves, the community the program is situated in, or or those practitioners, those after-school providers that um, influence the success of the intervention? And we're really excited uh, because we're working with so many programs in this new study from so many different places that we'll be able to look at implementation. Um, Another thing that will be new in this study is Uh, Having a strong usage of mixed methods research. So uh, most of what I've talked about today so far has been pretty quantitative in terms of measuring our outcomes. Uh, But hearing um, qualitatively from those after-school providers about what worked and how it worked, uh, we know that we can't just measure that um, on a quantitative basis. And if we really want to understand their experiences, uh, we need to uh, talk to them and hear their stories and. Interviews. So we'll we'll be doing that as well. So all this research really has built on um, uh, each other. We started with the trial, then we worked locally with Reach, and now we're thinking about that national spread. Um, so it's been really exciting.
0: Why is mixed methods important when evaluating a study like this?
1: A study like this is very complex, and mixed methods is often really useful for gaining a more comprehensive understanding of complex interventions with uh, many different stakeholders. In OSNAP, I was describing how qualitative research was really going to help us explain the quantitative findings of which training model worked better. So after we look at that quantitative data, that outcome data, we'll be able to talk to those after-school providers um, to try to explain any differences that we see. Uh, And I can also think of another study I'm doing here uh, at Harvard Catalyst uh, that is with a, a totally different outcome and population, but uses um, a similar mixed methods approach. Uh, so we're currently evaluating uh, the Prevention and Wellness Trust Fund uh, with the Department of Public Health. So again, another evaluation project uh, with our local partners, and we're looking at many different outcomes. We're looking at um, elder falls, we're looking at hypertension, tobacco use, asthma in children. Uh, and. There are many complex interventions that are being done in community settings, in clinical settings, uh, and what we know is just looking at the, those clinical changes are not going to be able to help us understand uh, what really worked on the ground in those real world settings. Uh, what were the complexities of Implementing those interventions. What was it like to be a clinician implementing versus a community health worker versus somebody running a uh, class at a community organization? Hearing the voices of those folks that are implementing the intervention to try to explain any quantitative findings that we have is really valuable to be able being able to then take the next step, uh, whether it's in a research study or within uh, a community to try to improve the interventions that we're delivering to folks in the community to improve population health.
0: Thank you again for joining us, Dr. Lee. It has been a pleasure to have this conversation with you.
1: Thank you. It's been great to be here.
0: Next time on Think Research. If we were to move every inactive person in the world to becoming active, meaning meeting the physical activity recommendations. What does it do to health? And interestingly, we found that we could avert about 5 million deaths each year, about the same number of deaths that is caused by smoking. Dr. Ayman Lee discusses what recent studies reveal about the benefits of being physically active. Harvard Catalyst Think Research is supported by NCATS, the National Center for Advancing Translational Sciences. Subscribe to Think Research on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. To find out more about our podcast or suggest topics for future episodes, visit our website, www.catalyst.harvard.edu slash thinkresearch.